among students who participated and also received financial aid, 88% of those students persisted. Um, so I think that is a really powerful number to show the benefit of these programs, but also the benefit of combining the financial education with the financial resources. This is In the Know with ACCT, the voice of community college leaders. I'm Jacob Bray. On today's episode of In the Know, I talked with Veena Jayadeva, Director of Corporate Responsibility at Guardian Life Insurance, Hannah Gregory from Capital Community College in Connecticut, and Allison Beer, ACCT's Senior Policy Analyst, about our most recent report, Bridging Financial Wellness and Student Success, Effective Models for Community Colleges. This report was made possible by a grant from Guardian. Just to get us started, Allison, could you uh, walk through our thinking behind this project and uh, just the, the general background information? Yeah, absolutely. So ACCT, um, in partnership with Guardian, recently um, put out a new report called Bridging Financial Wellness and Student Success. And the goal of the project was to take a look at all of the different financial challenges and also financial decisions that community college students face. So this includes paying for their direct college expenses, such as tuition and fees, but also there's a lot of research that shows us that the bulk of students' costs are really their living needs. So, you know, housing, transportation, childcare, food, um, etc. So for this report, we wanted to take a look at both the financial, at all the different types of financial resources colleges can provide, um, and in particular, financial education programs. And so that's where our partnership with Guardian came in and taking a close look at their money management for life program at three different colleges. Um, so our report delves into a program at the university of the District of Columbia Community College, Berkshire Community College, and also Capital Community College, um, who we have Hannah Gregory from joining us today to talk more about their program. So just to just to start off, uh, Vina, from Guardian's perspective, what is the goal of the Money Management for Life program and what was the impetus for launching the program? So the Money Management for Life program, and I'm gonna to refer to it as MMFL, was started in 2013 um, as a as a as a way to encourage students to take a course in personal finance. So it was it was an opportunity to scholarship students um, at Capital Community College um, and some other um, community colleges where Guardian um, colleagues live and work across the country and. The idea being that financial literacy is something that is much needed, let's face it, for all Americans, right? Um, but particularly in community colleges, it is a really diverse population um, of, of students. Uh, you think about it in terms of, uh, you think about it in terms of age, you think about it in terms of socioeconomic background, you think about it in terms of work experience, um, any way you slice it, uh, community colleges from an inclusion and diversity standpoint, we felt was an, a really important type of institution to support because of the students that they serve. Um, and, and personal finance and not just learning about the topics around it, so the role of taxes and financial planning, budgeting, uh, life insurance, disability insurance, health insurance, you name it. The knowledge piece of it's really important but the tools that you 
are then able to use in your in your in your own life that's what's really important right so it's not just about book learning but it's about experiential learning so the application of that learning in planning one's short-term and long-term goals and i think in having those discussions whether it's with the professor with fellow students having the conversation with family members and friends i think helps uncover the goals and aspirations of these individuals um, and then think back to okay based on these tools that I've now that I've now gained from the course, how can I actually apply it to my life to help make make this happen? How do I pave the path for me to actually reach my goals? Um, so the, com the, the company started investing in this program in 2013 um, and it had and has grown over the years um, across the country to now 10 colleges, but at its peak we were at 14 colleges across the country. And through the program, it evolved over the years after trying to understand the, the needs of students. So beyond the education piece and the tools, what other supports were needed? And so you'll hear from Hannah how the program evolved over time. But I think having that strong relationship between Guardian and each of our community colleges helped us really uncover how best to evolve the program and, and figure out how we could help work with administrators and faculty and staff to best meet the needs of the students. So jumping to the community college level, uh, Hannah, how did your involvement with the MMFL program begin and what were some initial successes and challenges that you experienced? Yeah, so uh, we, we had started, um, as Vina mentioned, uh, 2013 um, was when we started with the program and I was brought on board in early 2016. Um, and that was a result of a you know very generous um, uh, donation from Guardian to basically really expand and rethink our services from, you know, a financial literacy and asset building perspective. Uh, so you know, we, we launched the first center, um, which was, which is this physical space um, that focused on not only just the um, expansion of educational initiatives, but um, more high touch services as well. Um, you know, educational initiatives, um, I, I think is, you know, the, the cornerstone um, of what we, of our work at the first center um, in our, you know, critical, but, um, you know, they're fairly low touch service. Um, you can, you can get really high numbers through, um, you know, using educational initiatives, you know, through classes and things like that. But, um, you know, when, when you're looking at, you know, sort of long term systems change around um, increasing assets among community college students, um, you know, I, I think there was a bit of concern about kind of fade out effects of the um, educational, um, long-term effects of educational initiatives as people kind of, you know, fall back into, you know, old habits and things like that. We, I think, I think a, um, a common analogy or comparison is with diets. You know, we, you know, we, we go, we get into a, a diet, it works for us for, you know, a period of time, then over time, it just kind of, there, there's certain fade out effects with that. So kind of similar thing with, um, you know, with, with educational initiatives, but um, in terms of our successes, uh, you know, one, one of the things that was foundational to the first center and the success of the program uh, was, was our um, relationships with external partners. And I think, um, you know, any community college that is going to, you uh, embark on this sort of um, financial literacy and asset building uh, work is that or external partners are going to be absolutely key to the success of any of the programs. 
Uh, and so we brought early on in the process, we brought um, a number of external uh, partners and stakeholders. Um, and along with Guardian, we, we kind of set some, um, you know, putting together vision and mission statements. And, I, and, and that sort of work was really important um, in ensuring that our work was not so insular that it only was focused on community college populations, but we are trying to approach things from this kind of systems change perspective of how do we, how do we increase assets? How do we um, increase income and, you know, particip participation and kind of alternative financial services like, you know, check cashing and, um, you know, other areas that, you know, that might make building assets much harder. So I think that was really key to our initial success. And I think it makes programming quite a bit easier. I think one of our um, early successes was um, partnering with our um, local United Way and another organization, the Village for Families and Children, uh, to do volunteer income tax assistance, which, um, you know, there's, you know, it's one of those programs that's been done for years and years and years, but uh, one, you know, volunteer income tax assistance is a really high impact service. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, tax preparation services out there that, you know, cost money, um, are not very clear or um, transparent about their practices. So um, providing this free and, you know, very, um, I always use it as an opportunity to, um, to have it be, an, uh, you know, a, a educational opportunity for teaching, you know, clients and students about um, how to use taxes or, you know, what, what taxes are and, you know, kind of what they, you know, what the, what the process of filing taxes is. So, um, but it, but it was also an outlet for students who completed the MFL, MMFL program um, to, uh, you know, kind of apply what they learned um, and kind of give back to the college uh, community. So, uh, so we, you know, every year we have a number of students who complete the personal finance program and, you know, become volunteer income tax preparers, which is, I think, a great outlet and great growth opportunity for them. Um, oh. But yeah, and so, so as, we, as we've gone on, our, our mission and scope has evolved a little bit, but, you know, I think it, it always comes back to, um, you know, the, it, just education and, um, you know, getting students involved and excited about uh, in, around financial literacy and, you know, the, you know, these sorts of services that we can provide through these opportunities. So how has the MMFL program grown over time and have there been any challenges accompanying that growth? So the MMFL program grew from just a few colleges, starting with Capital Community College in 2013, up to its peak of 14 colleges, really based on, for us, our physical footprint across the United States. We wanted to reach the local communities in which our colleagues lived and worked. Um, but I would say some of the challenges around it is that there is a need everywhere for for this type of a program, right? So not necessarily, you know, the Guardian-sponsored program, but we received feedback from community colleges all across the United States who were interested in launching a similar type of program. So support around education for personal finance, but also that more holistic approach to supporting students um, from a financial aid perspective and financial education perspective. And so for us, as we've been expanding the program, you know, the challenge is determining where to go and who to partner with because the need is so great. Um, and I think, I think that as Hannah mentioned, 
the partnership between community colleges, community institutions, local community institutions, and the private sector are really key in being able to corral not just the financial resources, but the like the human capital, right? All the all the necessary components of building a holistic program that helps understand and meet the community's needs overall. Um, so that type of, you know, the challenge really is how do you get all the right players together um, to make to make a program like this possible and successful? Because there is such a need in all of our communities across the U.S. Vina, what is the value in providing students with the skills in the MMFL program from Guardian's perspective? So I think I think the value is not just in students being able to be financially literate and be able to have have the conversations with oneself, right? In terms of where where are they right now? Where do they want to where do they want to be and how are they going to get there? But I think it's also in having the vocabulary and the ability to have the conversations more broadly. So Hannah, I think about, you know, as part of the, as part of the course, students engaging in conversations with their parents, um, with their peers in the class, um, with their peers more broadly. Um, I've seen examples of students trying to pass on the knowledge to other classmates who are not in the course, making money more comfortable to talk about because culturally, I think for the most part, we keep, we keep it to ourselves. We don't even talk about it within families, right? When you think about parents talking to their children about um, money um, and the importance of having a budget, um, the importance of having emergency savings, it's the conversation piece that I think is really important. And, and, and that's, I think, part of the basic value of funding a program like this. And I think, I think beyond that, the evolution of the program in terms of providing additional support for students, so whether it's around the um, income tax preparation, and students actually getting to a point where they can serve as volunteers, right? Especially at, at a Capital Community College, we had great examples of students volunteering their time, so actually applying the knowledge that they learned in the course and paying it forward um, to community members, I think is um, invaluable. When I think about students offering programs such as small debt forgiveness that allow students to continue in their studies so that they can, so that they can um, complete you know, their, their associate's degree, for example, is of huge value for the student and their families if you think about the, you know, the benefits of completing their degree and going out to the workforce and what that means for their training, for their salary. Um, these are all, I think, essential pieces of the value proposition of providing a holistic set of tools and support for students. Um, investing in financial wellness coaches so that students have a safe space to talk about their current circumstances and, and receive advice. Um, all these pieces, I think, are uh, essential um, for, for students to feel like they have the tools and support to, to achieve those goals that they have articulated for themselves and their families. So um, 
it's, you know, it seems like there's organic growth within the program. You know, the students are spreading the knowledge to other students, encouraging them to get involved. And after they finish the program, getting involved themselves through volunteering their time, which I think speaks, uh, speaks to the value of the program. Um, but in the initial stage, were there any specific strategies that, um, I, I, that either of you saw uh, were effective in encouraging student participation? So I think one of the, one of the pieces of feedback that I, that I heard about earlier on in the program is we were fortunate to have a base of volunteers from the Guardian community who would go and serve as guest speakers and, 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 and meet with the students and speak with them and share their personal experiences and their professional journeys. And that was a really great way for students to see the application of, of these concepts in real life, um, but also give them a sense of what opportunities are, are out there outside of, outside of college, right? Outside of their community college setting. What um, professional opportunities might be there? What type of economic opportunities might be out there? Um, and for students who are able to take advantage of having that kind of exposure and conversation with guest lecturers, I think it really opened doors for them in terms of building real relationships, expanding their professional network, um, getting excited about the topic of financial, um, financial, personal financial management. I think if you can stir that kind of passion in an individual, then it's contagious, right? They're going to have the conversations with their classmates and with their families and with the community more broadly. Um, but that engagement piece is really important. And simply, as Hannah said, you know, the education piece of it maybe will have a certain, will have a certain effect, but it's the engagement around it that's going to have a longer lasting effect for the individual and, and everybody who's around them. That certainly makes sense. Have either of you seen any new challenges emerging given our current situation with a global pandemic and maybe uh, like an increased need for uh, financial awareness, financial literacy, or, you know, any, anything like that? It's going to be a real challenge. Um, you know, our, our, our organization is, you know, focused on, you know, access to college and, you know, there, there are huge, you know, very vast and deep structural barriers and inequities that, you know, certainly this pandemic is highlighting. And um, it's going to, it really, it's going to be a, a real challenge for students. I think, um, you know, I think, um, you know, among it, like, you know, just in terms of technology is, is, is a major barrier. You know, there is, you know, a lack of broadband access in, you know, Hartford for a number of years until, you know, I want to say 2016, you know, the North End was, um, you know, did not have broadband access, uh, which is predominantly um, Black African American community. Um, so um, there's 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 major technology barriers, and you know it's you know when it comes to the the sort of asset building and you know in developing wealth and income, you know getting getting the ball rolling with that. I mean, we see you know the same same barriers are just often exasper exasperated. Um, as a result of the pandemic, you know, whether it's transportation, whether it's childcare, um, you know, these, these are, these are, you know, major barriers for our students, not just in accessing school in non-pandemic times and accessing work in non-pandemic times, but, um, you know, adds multiple layers and, you know, multiple challenges that I think, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to see some long lasting impacts, not just during, you know, during, 
while we're facing the pandemic, but also um, in, in the recovery as well. So, um, you know, it's one of those things where it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like whack-a-mole right now where we're putting, where we're trying to put out one fire and then one, another emerges. Um, and I think we're going to just kind of see that sort of, um, you know, long-term uh, effect on, you know, on, you know, wealth and asset building uh, for years to come. And I think, I think it's going to provide some unique challenges, but also maybe some opportunities as well to rethink some of our approaches um, as we, as we continue along in this work. I think, you know, as we've been living through the pandemic for the past few months, you know, it's clear that students are facing really challenging financial times. Um, but colleges are also short on resources. So you know, luckily they've received federal stimulus to help provide aid with students, um, but there's certainly a need to do more with less. So Hannah, do you have any recommendations that you can share for colleges that are needing to do this financial capacity building work, but are strapped themselves with resources available? That is a great question. <laughs> um, you know, I, uh, I think, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a constant challenge because I think especially, you know, from from a faculty and staff perspective, I think we're always we're always asking our um, you know our instructors and faculty to as you as you said to do more with less resources, and I think you know in terms of um, you know in terms of that you know financial literacy and asset building, um, you know I think it's important to engage you know faculty because they're often often the you know the frontline workers. Um, when it comes to a lot of, um, you know, when it comes to a lot of student challenges, um, you know, and especially, uh, you know, counselors and advisors as well. Um, I, I think it's important to, you know, make sure that, you know, colleges are, you know, connecting the dots for students um, and, you know, making some of the processes easier for, um, you know, for accessing financial aid, for accessing, you know, if there's, you know, a, a, emergency grant program that, you know, colleges have instituted. Um, you know, I think, I, I think it, it's, it, the pandemic kind of came at an interesting time where it's towards the end of the spring semester for us. And, um, you know, we're, um, you know, and so the, the primary focus was just kind of triaging so we could get through the rest of the, the spring semester. And then the summer semester, it's all about preparation um, for the fall semester. But, um, you know, I think, I think we're going to have to, um, you know, figure out ways to be, you know, nimble and, you know, try to approach these issues. But I think, um, you know, my, my approach has often been, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's career development, workforce development, career readiness, and engaging those topics, um, or financial literacy, engaging those topics with the faculty. I think it's faculty are often, um, the more, the more that you can engage in these conversations, you know, the more that they can kind of, um, you know, provide some of these, maybe not necessarily services, but, you know, connect the students with the resources, um, you know, with external partners out in the community. So, um, and I guess that's the other piece is external partners is, is I think, uh, um, really important to engage with at this time around these specific topics, because, um, you know, that's, that's always a way, you know, uh, external partners are always trying to find ways to increase their numbers. And I think, um, you know, strategic partnerships for with a community college from their perspective is always beneficial to them and their um and you know using their resources so i think i think there's a lot of mutually beneficial um, areas where um where community colleges can work with 
Are there any, uh, from, from, capitalist, or from capitalist point of view, are there any uh, more quantifiable metrics that you're using to determine student success? I know uh, when, we were, when we spoke um, a couple of months ago, there were some numbers that were pretty, pretty positive. Yeah, so uh, from capital's perspective, I mean, um, so, so certainly we can, um, you know, with, with our programs, we can measure output. Um, you know, I think that's, that's one of the, the first ones that we go, that we look to, um, you know, see how many students that are being impacted by this work. Uh, when we were, you know, when we were, uh, in, you know, engaging with ACCT um, in terms of looking at these numbers, you know, we, we did a lot more of tying the, um, you know, involvement with the financial literacy program to, you know, kind of more um, longer term metrics that we use uh, that are often used in, in um, you know, in an institutional uh, research department. So, you know, looking at the, you know, looking at the stopouts, looking at, you know, does it, does our students more likely to graduate, um, things like that. I, I think one of the challenges, and I, I would say certainly for, you know, the long-term perspective is, you know, as I mentioned, we're, we're engaged in this, this systems change work and um, trying to find ways to kind of tie together all of the data that's being used within, within an educational institution, I think is always going to be a challenge. Um, you know, there, there's lots, there's lots of data available there's, because I think there's lots of initiatives that happen on any given community college. Um, but the, but oftentimes they're kind of like proprietary to that initiative. So, um, you know, I've always, I've always looked to like integrated service delivery models and other, um, other programs like, uh, financial opportunity centers. Um, I often see those as a gold standard because they really do a good job of, uh, tying together all the different, you know, key performance indicators. Um, where you can actually measure that level of systems change, you know, not only how many students are you engaging with um, with classes and educational in initiatives, but how much are assets actually increasing among students? How much, um, you know, how much is uh, a, any given student or client's net income increasing? Uh, those are those are really valuable metrics, um, and also from a workforce development perspective as well. I think that you know the um, you know, the, the holy grail of metrics is, is job placement, but that, that is another, you know, you know, huge challenge uh, to, to capture as well. You know, what defines job placement? What, um, you know, what, you know, is, is, it, is, is a student who gets a job after graduation? You know, is it, you know, do they retain it after six months? And, you know, let alone the whole logistical challenge of that as well of, you know, what, what after students graduate, you know, are they, you know, going to um, get back to us about, um, about providing us with that data. I think, you know, schools have certainly grappled with that for years and years, but, um, you know, so, you know, I, I think, I think from, from a perspective, from our perspective is, you know, we can always tie um, our output and students who go through our programs with, you know, the institutional research metrics, you know, as, as we did in the um, ACCT report. But, um, you know, I think, I think there's, there's some, there's always more to uncover and always more to tie together. Um, when, when engaged in this work, because it's not, I think it's not enough to uh, claim success when, you know, when students going through the program, um, but really thinking about that, you know, that, that long-term vision of, um, you know, thinking about, you know, how, how students have been affected by the program. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think that will, you know, continue to be a challenge, but, um, you know, I think, I think every, every little bit, every, every day where we can just bring together all of our, um, you know, different ways that we measure student success together and, 
um, and and link together and speak to one another. I think um, I think the this whole way of how we measure um, metrics is you know will improve and will get better over time. So for the report, we looked at a number of metrics for students participating in the program. So for MFL students overall, we found that that 75% of the students who participated in the personal finance course felt that they were better prepared to manage their personal finances as a result of taking the course. Um, We also looked at some more specific metrics for each college, those IR metrics that Hannah mentioned. Um, So for one metric we looked at was retention rates, and we found that at Capital, 73% of students who participated in the Money Management for Life program uh, persisted from semester to semester. It was something that was really enlightening for us is that among students who participated and also received financial aid, 80% of, 88% of those students persisted. And so I think that is a really powerful number to show the benefit of these programs, but also the benefit of combining the financial education with the financial resources. Um, And sort of those intangibles that are hard to gather, like the personal impacts that students face. Um, You know, we feed, Guardian has some videos that show the students' stories and more about the transformative nature of participating in these types of programs and just the confidence that it can give them um, in their financial lives and how that translates into their college experience. Yeah, I think that that 88% number is pretty remarkable because, you know, that's that's a higher retention rate than you see at some uh, competitive four-year institutions. If you want to check out the full report, it's available on our website, acct.org, under the Publications tab. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.